Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Like I said, our title is called Living Water today. Uh, predominantly, we're going to be talking about what living water is, and we're going to dive into this dialogue between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Anyone heard this story? Yeah? Okay, good. All right. So it won't be completely unfamiliar for everyone. Just kidding. It's a really familiar passage, so I'm, I'm sure you're um, familiar with it. But before we dive into it, we're going to be in John chapter 4, um, and it talks the context of as Jesus is leaving Judea, and he's going to Galilee, and he is tired from his journey um, because uh, he tells his disciples, I have to go through Samaria. He has to go, and that's important for us later on, that he had to go through Samaria. And so he ends up at this well that was Jacob's well, um, you know, uh, Israel. His name was changed to Israel, and he's wearied, and then he comes in contact with this Samaritan woman. And that's where we're going to start, is John chapter 4, verse 7. When you're there, say, Amen. Ooh, y'all looking at the screen? Good job. Nobody uses Bibles a lot anymore. You notice that? It's all digital. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Spoiler alert, he is. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. You know, we see this especially, and we've been seeing this throughout the entire Bible, that God loves giving gifts. So for this woman and for us today, Jesus offers living water. He offers us his Holy Spirit. And, and before we dive into that, I just want to give you a little context between the relationship in this era between Jews and Samaritans. Because there is a deep-seated hate between both of these people, right? It, it's the Samaritans in Jews' eyes were despicable or sinful or corrupt or evil. They were looked down upon, so much so that the Jews would not travel through Samaria to get somewhere. They would go around the other way. They would completely avoid this entire people group just so they wouldn't have to associate, just so they wouldn't have to be stained by them. You know what I mean? And so we see this, that why were they so hated? Well, originally the Samaritans were Israelites, but in Assyrian captivity, when Assyria took over the northern tribes of Israel, they intermarried with Assyria. And so now Israel, the tribe of Judah and stuff, when they came back from Babylon, they saw them as a half-breed. You're a mixed race. You are no longer God's holy people. You're not my brother and sister. You are below me now because you associated with them. And so they looked at them as these corrupt people. And in steps Jesus, who he's a Jew, 
and he understands the cultural applications and he understands the customs of his people in that day, but yet he does not let those societal rules dictate how he loves people, how he approaches people. And it's really, really important for us today to realize that. You see this woman who, she is like basically a contrast. This is right after the conversation with Nicodemus. And so you see Nicodemus in the previous chapter. He's a Pharisee. He's going after God um, as much as he can. He's memorizing scripture. He's respected. He's got a respected job. And Jesus tells him, you need to be reborn. You need the Holy Spirit. You need this living water. And so the same for this woman who is maybe an outcast. If you notice from her circumstance, she is not going to the well with the other woman, with the other women. She is by herself. She does things by herself. And as we see later, it probably could have been because of her lifestyle, just her relationships with people. She's been married a few too many times and not living with this guy now. And so she's living in sin. And so maybe she feels ashamed of her life. Maybe she feels that way, just immediately rejected all the time. Maybe she got so tired of people looking down on her and talking to her that she's like, I'm just going my own way. I'm not going to associate with you people anymore. I'm going to do things my own way because I just don't fit in. I can't fit in. And you see that the beautiful thing about Jesus is that even though she wasn't a model citizen, he offers her the same offer that he gives to Nicodemus. And why is that important? Because it doesn't matter who you are in Jesus' eyes. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're like Nicodemus and you are loved and feared or respected, it's the same offer. You need the Holy Spirit. Or if you are looked down upon or hated or you make sinning your nature, Jesus still looks at you with love. And he said he had to go through Samaria. He wanted to reach these people, and it started with this woman. It's important to know that, that these people that I think today even we experience that, these these unspoken rules. And doesn't it start out in school? Like there's certain kids that you just don't get go sit next to, right? They're weirdos. You know what I mean? Or you are the weirdo that no one sits next to you. How does that feel? You know what I mean? And it's like it starts younger then and then it can even become to the point where, you know, you're you're at your job and you know, it could be, you know, you first start out and everyone hates the boss. And they talk bad about them. They go around to the water cooler, whatever else, wherever you meet up, and you talk about them, right? And to fit in, you're like, yeah, I'll talk with you. I'll look down upon. And doesn't that become kind of natural for us to do? To fit in with other people, we follow these rules that we know are not right. And then maybe you end up being the boss, and now everyone's talking behind your back. You're welcome. You know what I mean? You, you continue that cycle. And for Jesus, for him, it doesn't matter. Like, he doesn't want you to treat people that way because he doesn't. It doesn't matter if everyone and their mama hate this person or hate what they represent. He is still there to love them and to bless them. And that should be how we model our lives. To actually bless people that can never pay us back. Or to do good to people even when there's no credit for you. Like that's a big one. A lot of people help people out or do charities just for the sake of, look what I did. Look at me. But Jesus modeled it in a way like, this is just my nature. This is why I exist. I exist to help people. And you see, he's offering this to this woman. And initially, he's offering to satisfy her soul right, with the Holy Spirit. He fills that void, that God-shaped void in our lives that we all need. But yet, she only knows how to satisfy her physical nature. That's why she goes from relationship to relationship. Because she's trying to fit this void in her life. And she doesn't know how. And Jesus is like, you're thirsty. 
You're really thirsty. You're trying to fill yourself up. It's not going to work. You need this living water. You need me in your life. And initially, she responds to Jesus like I think a lot of us do. We initially come to Jesus with what he can do for us. There's a crisis in our lives. There's an issue. You need a blessing. Something has happened. And you're like, I need your help. I need you to do something for me. And so a lot of us come to Jesus that way. But we can't stay following Jesus that way. Like, I only follow Jesus for the wealth. I only follow Jesus for the blessings, for the supernatural peace. Because what happens when that stuff is not there? Do you still follow Jesus? That's where your faith becomes real. Because that relationship of following Jesus for things or for stuff he can do for you is a false one. And it cannot be sustained. Amen? And so we have to constantly check ourselves with, are we following Jesus for the right reasons? Is the reason we follow Jesus is to become more like him? Or are we just trying to do it to feel good about ourselves? Or it's a check mark that we do. Or it's, or it's you know, you know, I follow Jesus because he's got great morals, man. It makes me look better. People think I'm a Christian. You know what I mean? When in reality, Jesus says, come to me and die. You die to yourself. You pick up your cross and you follow me. Because being a Christian and loving people, it hurts sometimes. It can definitely hurt. And it pushes your limits to where you need to depend on God to walk this out. Has anyone ever experienced that? Yes. And so this woman who initially wants this living water, yep, I need it. I'm thirsty. I need something. She's immediately challenged by Jesus in these next few verses. Turn with me to verse 16 now. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Thanks, Jesus, for letting me know that, reminding me. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) That just makes me laugh. I don't know. Oh, yep, I know you're someone different. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, now, please, don't address women this way, all right? (laughs) Especially younger guys. Show some respect. Only Jesus can talk to people this way. Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And here we see that Jesus is enables true worship. The only way to really worship is through Jesus. And we see this with the woman. She's initially, she wants the water, she wants the blessings, but then immediately, like I said, she's challenged by Jesus. And Jesus has to confront the sin in her life. And why is that? Why does Jesus immediately go to that? It's because there can't be a conversion without a confession. Like, when you follow Jesus, you can't stay following. Yeah, I want to grow in you, and I want to know more about you, but still be living a life of sin. It doesn't happen. It doesn't go together. It is actually an oxymoron. And so a lot of us can get into that place where, where maybe we even feel like we're not growing in Christ. Have you ever felt that way? Like, I just feel so stagnant. What's the deal? And sometimes it's because there is sin in your life that you are allowing there. And for us as Christians, that 
we have to get to a place, and it's a very uncomfortable one, to be like, God, I need you to search my heart. I need to search my mind. I need to search my behaviors. Where is sin in my life? Because I need you to help me fix it. And so it's, it, it can be scary, but that's a lot of times why that happens. And it's funny the way this woman answers that. I think it's how we answer God sometimes or other people. Maybe you don't even ask for God to expose that sin, but your spouse does or someone else does. And you're like, oh, why do you got to hit me in my feels, man? Like, I thought I was doing pretty good. And so this woman, when like her dirty laundry is out in the open and Jesus knows exactly what she's ashamed of, she immediately changes the subject. You ever done this? When God's like approaching you and you're like, yeah, but what about that over there? Like, let's not talk about me. And this is exactly what she does. She says, oh, you're, you're exposing my sinful habits, my lifestyle. What about worship, Jesus? Like, can we talk about worship right now? And I think it's beautiful with Jesus, with he doesn't respond with, how dare you try to change the subject on me? We're talking about you. I'm exposing the sin in your life. You're going to sit there and you're going to take it. Instead, he's like, okay, let's talk about worship. Because Jesus is just so awesome, right? I think it's funny what he says to her because he, he does change with her and he allows her to change the topic, but it's just to enlighten her and it's just to help her out. And she's wondering, like, why is it that we are illegitimate worshipers? Why is it that in, in the blame, it seems like Jesus is convicting her, but she's trying to make herself a victim, right? She's like, I am the way I am because of them, or because of something else, or because the way people look at me, that's why I do the things that I do. It's not my fault, Jesus. They made me do it. Has anyone ever felt that way? You ever had to answer your parents that way and you get in trouble? I didn't do it. They made me do it. No, no, you had a choice, right? And so Jesus is elaborating what worship looks like. And so she's wondering, why can't we worship here? But you say it's in Jerusalem. What's the point? And Jesus just cuts right to the heart of worship. Like, you do it in spirit and truth. It doesn't matter where you're at to worship. And we can, we can agree with that, right? Hopefully you can agree with that. It doesn't matter because how many have worshipped in the States versus worshipping here versus somewhere else you go. We have praised God. We have worshipped God in different atmospheres, right? But though that can be clear, don't we still kind of argue about worship with each other? Have you been to churches where they argue about worship? Because I have. Like, for instance, some of the things Christians like to argue about are how should you dress for worship? Do you wear a suit? Can you wear shorts? Is it okay to wear flip-flops? What if I came up and preached one Sunday in a tank top and shorts and no shoes on? Would that weird someone, you know what I mean? Like we have these preconceived notions or, you know, it's, it's like, do we do it in suits or shorts? Or do we, is it okay to sit in chairs or should we have pews? Is the holy thing to worship and sit down in a pew, right? Like this, you think it's silly, but have you seen people argue about this stuff? About things that people worship about? Or another big one. Is it okay to um, just have hymns and you sing out of that or to have words on the screen? Like I've been in churches where that is actually a legitimate issue that the board brings up. I think we should just stick old school and stick with the hymnals. And you're like, what? And then even if we figure all that out and we've finally gotten on the same page now, what type of music should we do? Is it okay to do contemporary? Should it be old school? We just have great grandma on the piano and somebody on drums or what? You know what I mean? Like, what is the right way? Is it, it, would it be weird if we threw a hip-hop song in for our teens? We worship, someone said amen. They're like, please, you know? But, I mean, what if, what if Stacy comes in one day and our whole worship set list is like Skillet or something? And it's just rock. It's just Christian rock. Would that weird somebody out? 
Maybe, because it's not your normal. Like, we don't worship that way. But in all of that, what we should focus on is that the only way to worship is through the Holy Spirit. And that's why you can have all these different avenues, right? And the reason we worship is to give God glory. We are giving God glory. We are putting him above. We are coming at it with a legitimate love, a legitimate passion, and we're being doing it in truth. Like, I don't know if you notice this, there's a lot of songs out there. They can sound great, and they've got a great beat, but their doctrine is way off from the Bible. And we have to be able to discern that because Jesus wants us to worship him, not some version that we create in our minds, but him, the God of the Bible, that one that saved our soul. And so for me, I don't know if you've experienced that, but I've worshiped God with, without music. I've worshiped with a hip-hop song or a rock song, like screaming in my ear headphones, and I'm crying out to God like it is okay to do that. What The problem that we have sometimes is we try to take our freedom and offend someone else. And this is an experience that I had in school. I'll explain. I see the faces. They're like, you're wrong. Well, let me explain what I'm trying to say. Here's the deal. When I was working at the cafeteria uh, last year, we always played some type of radio music or something, right? It just gets everyone in the mood. We like listening to music. And someone plays it from their phone. And they asked me, like, hey, Jordan, pick a song. So I picked a Christian rap song, a Christian rap artist, right? And uh, so there's this other lady who she loves Jesus. She claims she follows Christ. And the whole song, or the whole couple songs, she is so distraught that she, like, burns the pizzas. Like, she can't even push the button and open it up on time. Like, she is tripping, okay? And she comes to me, like, I think everything's fine. I'm jamming, you know, loving Jesus this way. And she comes up to me, and she's like, I need to know right now what your music is saying. And I'm like, hold up. Like, why are you attacking me? And so immediately, I'm like, okay, well, he's a Christian rap artist. And he's, he's preaching the gospel. If you listen to his lyrics, read his lyrics, he's reaching people that don't always go to church or a contemporary song is not going to reach them, right? He's trying to reach other people. And so that's how he uh, leads people to Jesus. And she just was like, well, you know what? Like, it's wrong. You shouldn't do it and everything else. And immediately I'm like irritated. Like, I'm like, oh, you, are, you are wrong. How dare you come to me? But immediately the Holy Spirit just checks me. Right. And he's like, Be, you don't he bring the scripture to mind. You don't cause your brother to stumble. Right. I'm not going to go against you, even if we disagree and I'm right and you're wrong or whatever. And so I immediately like it had to be God speaking through me because I was like, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Like, I did not mean to offend you with my music. I understand that you don't like it and I will do my best not to play it again in front of you. Like, I'm really sorry about that. And then she appreciates that. She's like, oh, thank you. And she's like, well, next time, just check with everyone before you put music on. I was like, Lord, again, help me. Like, I'm tripping. Uh, She's going at it again. But it really, like, we don't want to do it to offend people, right? But we should, when we're worshiping, no matter the style or the reason behind it, that we're doing it for God, that our focus is for God, not to offend someone, not to look like someone else, but that we're doing it with truth and in spirit. Amen? Jesus wants us to be honest when we praise him. So let's finish up with these last few verses. Verse 25. We're going to skip around a little bit now. Same chapter. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now jump to verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And jump to verse 39. 
Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And through all of this, it's very clear that Jesus desires intimacy. Jesus desires intimacy. He wants to spend time with you. And I love how this perspective of Jesus changes with, through this whole conversation. Because it starts out, he's just, he's just another weary Jew, right? She calls him sir, out of respect. But then he turns into, she calls him a prophet. He knows a little bit about what he's saying, right? He knows some personal details. So he must be a prophet. And then he is the Christ, and then finally the Savior of the world. And yet, you see this change of her perception and perspective of Jesus shift because of the time spent with him. Because of the interaction she spends with Jesus that she comes to realize who he really is. And this is important for us today. That a lot of people can hear of Jesus and think he was just another Jew. Or he was just, you know, he's a really good teacher. He taught a lot of good stuff. But it's only through spending time studying his life, spending time with him, praying to him, being in his midst that the Holy Spirit opens up our eyes and our minds and our hearts to see who he really is. That he really is the Savior of the world. And I think it's funny that initially when Jesus starts this conversation, he's not rude to the woman when she calls him sir or, you know, she just sees him as another Jew. He's like, recognize who I am. Do you know that I am God? Right. Instead, he is patiently talking with her and spending time with her and is there on her level so that she can come to that realization on her own. That he doesn't force it right there on the second, but that she comes to know who Jesus really is. And that's important because Jesus doesn't want our view of him to be shallow. He wants you to truly know who he is, but he wants that time spent so that he can show you. He can bless you. He can guide you into a deeper relationship with him. And I think it's interesting that this woman gets to a point where Jesus is giving her all this knowledge, telling about her life. And she's like, that's great, but I am ready for the Messiah. I've got some issues in my life that I need real help, and only he can really help me. And then Jesus responds, oh, you need the Messiah? That's me. I'm that too. And I love that because in Jesus, we do, like the worship song says, he's everything we need. He is the ultimate friend. He's the ultimate teacher. He's the ultimate prophet. He's the ultimate savior. He's the ultimate confidant. Everything that you need, Jesus is, right? He gives you the living water. He is the bread of life. He's the breath of life. Everything that you crave and everything your soul actually desires is found in Jesus. And through this, she's like full of hope, like, what? It's you, you're here, you've come to reconcile us. And she immediately leaves and goes and tells her entire town about Jesus. But the way she does it drew uh, my attention to a few details on how she does it. And if you notice that it's, it's first where she placed her identity. And I don't know if you caught that, but she declared and she tells people that Jesus told her all she ever did. Now... Okay. I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I didn't read where Jesus told her about her education. I didn't read where he told her about her hobbies. I didn't read where he talked about her personality or, or her occupation or anything. The only thing I read that Jesus told her was her relationships. And isn't it interesting that all that she ever did was just on these relationships? The essence of her existence and her entire identity rested on that. 
just that. And don't we kind of do the same thing to ourselves? If people ask you who you are, what would you say? I do this for a living. I'm a parent. I'm this or that. And you notice that we all have this identity sometimes where we filter it through a singular lens. And it starts, like I said, in school. You get your identity based on your appearance, how you present yourself. That's who you are. You notice how you can see the people. Like, okay, in my school there were people called emos. Have you ever heard of this term? Yes? And so we knew if you dressed in black and you were kind of goofy or whatever else, like, you're an emo. Like, you don't look at them and be like, you're a jock, right? Like, you just know by their appearance. And that was where they based their identity on, right? And it's the same for us. How we look, we think we should be a certain thing. That's who we are. Our job becomes who we are. I am my job. This is what I do. This is all I do. Or our skill set, what we're really good at, becomes your identity, right? Or even like this woman, unfortunately, a lot of times, you become what you're known for, how other people perceive you. You take all of that and be like, that's obviously all I am. And how sad is that for this woman? That because of what she's experienced, that the essence of who she is just comes from what other people tells her she is or the shame that she feels. And the important thing that we need to realize that in Christ, he is our identity. Our identity rests in his righteousness. Before we are anything else, we are loved by him. Before we are our job or our parent or anything else, we are a Christian first. We follow Jesus. He is our Lord, and that should be where we place our identity. He wants us to come to him fully and be transformed, that we no longer just see ourselves through the lens of my job or what I do, but we see ourselves through his eyes, that we are worth his sacrifice on the cross. A lot of times you hear that, that Jesus, you know, he, he died because he's just showing you how sinful you are and how bad sin is. And yes, that is true. He died for your sin, but it also shows you how much you're worth to him, that he would be willing to give up his own life for yours so that you could have a relationship to set you free, to cleanse you. So you have to see yourself through those eyes, that you are loved, that you are cared for. And when you see that, you can see everyone else too, that God loves them the same way. We have to realize that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. How cool is that? That God's Spirit can rest in you. The one who created everything, brought everything, spoke everything to existence is now yours. Like, you are his. You commune together. Together, you are the light in the darkness that can help other people. out. And Jesus wants to flow through you to bless other people if you will let him. Second thing I noticed that you know, even if we do struggle seeing ourselves through Jesus' eyes because we do have our past and we have our history and we have things we've done or we have our current situation and you just see your, your identity through this lens, well, it, we can learn a lesson from this woman because despite her reputation or what she has done, it did not stop her from going and sharing Jesus with other people. It did not stop her at all. Did you get that? She could have a lot of shame and have a, a, a big reason to not to associate and talk to other people, but yet she does it. And you think about this, you know, when you endorse something, when you've seen commercials, who usually endorses products? Famous people, right? Athletes, people with influence, like your favorite movie stars, celebrities, whatever else. And so you're thinking about this, that to make an impact, we think, we need to pick the person that's respected or loved or has the influence to make sure the message gets across. To sell that toothpaste, you need someone up there, you know what I mean, so you can get a profit. But yet, the way Jesus does it, he picks the lowliest person that has the worst reputation in the town and like, I want them. 
I want her. If you realize that, he wanted to transform this town in Samaria. And instead of going to someone who's respected or has the influence, he goes like, she's the one. She's the one I want to be the evangelist because of what she's experienced, what she can do. And if you notice that her evangelism was powerful because of the transformation that was happening inside of her. People saw that and like, not only did you say it, but we see it through your life and now through his. And a lot of times we get that point where maybe we do want to share Jesus and maybe we think we're bold enough, but we're like, you know, you're approached on questions that you don't know how to answer. Maybe you haven't studied your Bible enough. You're not a biblical scholar to answer every single biblical question. And the key ingredient that we can follow from her life is that she just points him to Jesus. Like, hey, you're right. I don't know it all, but he does. He can transform your situation. He can answer your questions if you trust him and seek him. And you see that that the key ingredient to this is going and seeing for yourself. It is that your walk with Jesus be made personal. And I know a lot of parents deal with this and experience this, that you can raise your kid up in church and youth and everything else. And then, But there comes a point where they have to make the decision, do I follow Jesus because my parents do and this is what my family does, or because he is my personal Lord and Savior? It has to be their choice. And I've had this, I've got to experience that with so many teens here, actually, that have had to come to that conclusion. Do I follow Jesus for me or do I do it because my parents tell me to? Because you have to know why you believe what you believe. It has to be made real in your life. And through that, it is totally okay to ask God those hard questions, right? Have you experienced this? You struggle with scripture, you're wrestling with scripture, your faith on something, and you just go to God. And the whole time he is waiting for you like, I've been waiting for you to ask that. I want to talk to you about this. I want to enlighten you about why I did what I did or why this is significant. I want to spend time with you. And through that, we see that anyone seeking truth and searching for God, Jesus is always there. He's always there. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, Jesus is there for you. And you get to this point when you make that personal decision that you're like, you know, I don't follow Jesus just for the morals or just because it's the right thing to do. But I know in my soul, I know in my heart that he is my savior, that he is my Lord. And that has to be made personal. For you to be excited about that or be passionate about Jesus, it it requires you making it personal in your life. Not what someone else tells you to do. Not what I tell you to do. It's got to be your your personal relationship with Jesus that changes you. And it brings you to the point where when you truly do that, when you truly wrestle with God, when you truly get in your word and, and you want to spend time with him, that it doesn't matter what people say against you or against the Bible or Christianity because you're like, that's not what Jesus says. I don't know who you think Jesus is, but that's not my relationship with him. Like you, I don't know what type of Jesus, and no matter what happens or what trial you go through, you're like, Lord Jesus, I know you're still with me. I know you're there because you become filled up with this living water. Like Psalms called like a tree by living water, right? You're a solid tree, and you're, you're built on the rock of solid foundation in Jesus, that you have your foundation, and you know nothing can shake you or sway you or break your faith because you have made it real in your intimacy with Christ. In, in the simplest terms, that's Christianity. It's our continual growth in our intimacy with Christ. It's being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's proved through a lifestyle of worship. You worship one way, different than everyone else? Cool. As long as you're worshiping. As long as you're giving Jesus your all. If that's all you do when you worship is you stand still, that's cool. If that's how you're giving Jesus your all, do it. 
And as I was preparing this, God was just speaking to me on, on, on possibly what people are dealing with. And it's maybe some things came to mind. Maybe today you're just struggling with your identity and you're just struggling with who am I really? Who am I really? Or maybe you've been struggling with your perception of Jesus in your mind. Who is Jesus to me? And I want to I assure you that no matter where you're at or what you're going through, he sees you right where you're at. Not a, a future version of yourself where you're a really great Christian, right? You barely sin. But where you're at right now, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what your past, no matter what you're ashamed of, what you've been through, that Jesus is there with open arms. No matter what, no matter what, he gives you that. And that even if you're wrestling with God on areas and you're trying to figure things out, or you're trying to understand why he let certain things happen, that as long as you continue to seek him and ask him that he's going to reveal to you what you need. And it may not be what you want all the time. You may not get what you want when you ask Jesus all the time, but he will give you everything that you need. I can guarantee it. Like even when you're witnessing to someone and you're like, you know, Lord Jesus, I think you're telling me to go tell them that Jesus loves them or something to share the gospel. So if you send a, a tornado of fire right over across that mountain, I'll know it's you, Lord. You're not always going to get that, right? We're not all Gideons that have the fleece turn wet and then dry. Sometimes we just have to take that leap of faith and trust God and let him speak to us in that moment right where we're at and love people no matter where they are as well. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.